In one moment, the world would change dramatically because of five very small words, at least in English. You can imagine the scene, a perfectly beautiful woman standing in a beautiful garden, and she's looking quizzically at an appetizing piece of fruit. She knows she's not supposed to eat it. She's been warned. She's been clearly warned. Just a few minutes earlier, she'd been in God's garden going her blissful way, not having a doubt in her mind about anything. What a beautiful place that must have been. Can you imagine a garden planted by Almighty God? What an amazing place that must have been. And as she's walking in the garden, a serpent approaches. She's not afraid of the serpent, like most of us probably would be today. If we saw a serpent heading our way, we'd go the other way. But there was nothing to harm her or hurt her in the garden. And the serpent began a seemingly innocent conversation with the woman. But behind it all, there is cunning and deceit. He says, again, very innocently to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And she answers truthfully, we can eat of the trees, the fruit of the trees of the garden, except for the one in the middle of the garden. That one we're not supposed to eat or we'll die. And then the serpent said those five small words to the woman. In English, the words are only three or four letters long. A very, very short sentence. You will not surely die. And for the first time in her young life, she experiences a doubt. She probably never had a doubt before about the truthfulness of something. Everything God had told she and her husband in the past had been true. She never doubted. She probably was never stuck on a decision that she had to make. We know she never had to decide what to wear in the morning when she got up, at least. She never had a doubt until that moment, and then doubt entered. You will not surely die. God had told her one thing, and now for the first time, someone else told her that that thing was not true. And she was going to have to make a decision on which side was she going to come down. And there was probably a moment of indecision. In fact, we read that between the lines in the book of Genesis. She may not have fully understood what was going on, but with that doubt, her world had come unmoored. And she couldn't be sure, she wouldn't be sure anymore of exactly what to believe. And the serpent continues, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The father of lies, as we shall see, has just spoken his twisted, probably most catastrophic lie, at least certainly concerning the human race. What was Eve's reaction? Did her eyes widen as this new thought took hold? She was probably surprised, and we can imagine a whole deluge of ideas start running through her mind because this is a whole other way of looking at the world now than anything she'd known up until that point. Maybe she looked at the tree again in a new way. Did it look a little bit different to her? Probably did, at least in some ways, because she was mentally reorganizing the world, and now she's looking at the fruit through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. She sees that it's appetizing, looks good, and there's this promise that her mental faculties are going to expand. I imagine that at that point, all the angels that existed, the holy angels like the fallen angels, had their eyes fixed on that tree in the middle of the garden, 
waiting to see what was going to happen next. She reached out her hand. If we were watching a movie, this would be in slow motion. She plucks the fruit off the tree, brings it to her lips, and bites into it, and the world changes. That was the founding of the world in which we live. A short time later, she has a conversation with her husband, which must have been repugnant in its shabbiness and its announced tragedy, because under the surface, sin is always shabby and tragic. He eats of it, and they have to leave the paradise of God. And from that perfect world that existed before, we have what the Bible calls the present evil world, or the present evil age. That's Galatians 1 verse 4. The world in which we are still living today. It was a world, it is a world, founded on a lie. It's based on a lie. It was conceived by a lie. And we live in a world of lies yet today. According to the prophecies we know from the end time, we're moving palpably toward a crescendo of lies in the time just before the return of Jesus Christ. When lies will dominate the world even more than they do now. We swim in a sea of lies, of untruths that are spoken on purpose, because we know that's what a lie is. A lie is not just something that's not true, it's something that is told, it's an untruth that is told in order to deceive people, to make them think something that's not true. So if I forget a date and I give you, make a mistake on a date when we're supposed to do something, that's not a lie, that's just fallible human being. But if I were to twist that and make you think something, purposely tell something that's not true to get you to think something else that's not true, that's a lie. And as I said, today we live in a sea of lies. More and more people justify lying. I can remember times in my life when I've done that. You probably do too. Because I, I think lying is up there as the prime candidate for perhaps the first sin we ever knowingly commit as children. Probably remember back to times as a child when you, you knew what you were about to say wasn't true. But for whatever reason, and I'll suggest some reasons here in a moment, there's actually been a surprising amount of scientific research that's been done about lying, why people lie, what their motivations are. But as children, children tend to lie until they learn enough or they're taught that that's not something they're supposed to do. So we say things like, I didn't break the toy, she did. He started it. Oh, I forgot. I'm not tired. Dad said I could. Of course I ate the lunch you packed for me. I'm just going to play this video game for two more minutes. I would never pour bacon grease down the drain. The teacher didn't give us any homework tonight. I didn't start the fight. I was just breaking it up. I'm at the library doing homework. I was up late studying. I never got your text. I already brushed my teeth. I'm pretty sure the movie's PG-13, and I could go on. You can find, actually, if you do a little research on the internet, lists of common lies that people tell at different phases of their life, and that came from one such list. Later on in life, we become a little better at it. We're a little more polished. It must have gone in my spam folder. My phone died. I'm almost finished. It's so great to see you. I don't care about looks as much as personality. I'm having trouble hearing you. Oh, rats, I forgot to do that. I'm fine. Traffic was crazy. 
I tried to get to the gym about four times a week. Sorry, I have plans that day. I'll call you later. I was just about to say how nice your hair looks. That looks great on you. Oh, I don't regret the investment. I learned a lot from it. And so on and so forth. Today, especially in our Western world, people with a lot of education are telling lies, that they know are lies about the history of our nation, about the history of the world, about the situation that exists in the country today and in other countries. They're lying. They're saying untruths hypocritically to motivate people or manipulate people into doing what they want them to do. And it's becoming more and more common. And many young people and even older people are being taken in by it because they're hearing those lies repeated over and over and over again and they don't even actually know what the truth is. People are lying about the present. They're lying with statistics and figures and twisted factoids and they will shout down anybody who dares to speak the truth. To paraphrase sports writer Ring Lardner, shut up, they explain. That's the answer. Lying was once considered serious business. If a politician was caught in an out-and-out -out lie, there would be ramifications, there would be consequences. But that is no longer the case. If the liar is on your side of the political divide, that's okay. There's an explanation for it. Only if it's on the other side, then that's a problem. Someone on my side plays fast and loose with the truth, that's just strategy. It's only when it's on the other side that it's wrong. And today, people make light of not telling the truth, of lying. I, I caught a comedian online recently who was saying that, he said, you know, sometimes you have to lie. In fact, when I'm telling my children you shouldn't lie, I'm kind of lying to them. And everybody laughed. And we can see the humor, it's kind of a black humor, but that is really the way people think. As I mentioned a moment ago, the subject of why people lie has been clinically studied quite a lot. Uh, here's some, uh, a sample from a book called Lie Spotting by Pamela Meyer. People sometimes lie with offensive motives and sometimes they lie with defensive motives. An offensive motive might be to obtain a reward that wouldn't otherwise be available to you. So you have to spin the truth or lie in order to get what you want. It may be to gain an advantage over another person or another situation. A CEO might insist that he's not interested in company B when in reality he's negotiating with them secretly for a buyout or whatever. But what he's going to say publicly will be very different because that's advantageous. It may be to create a positive impression and win the admiration of other people. That's a big subject of lies. There's a website called careerbuilder.com and they went through a lot of curriculum vitae, they went through a lot of uh, job applications, and they look for lies that people tell on their job applications. One of the common ones is putting somebody else's photograph on your job application. Pick somebody a little thinner, a little better looking, whatever. Some people have pretended to be a member of the Kennedy family, you know, distantly related. That might get their foot in the door. There have been people who've claimed a military experience. They fought in some battle, and in some cases, they claim to have been involved in a battle that took place before they were even born. To create a positive impression and win the admiration of other people. Or to exercise power over others by controlling information. And politicians oftentimes are experts in that. 
Then there are defensive motives for lies. To avoid being punished. That's probably the prime motivation for children. They don't want to get punished for something they did, so they say somebody else did it. Very common and obvious. Sometimes it's to protect another person from being punished. To protect yourself from the threat of a physical or emotional harm. People will lie. To get out of an awkward social situation. Oh, I have to get to my next meeting, excuse me. Or to maintain privacy. And all of those to a human being can be tempting. In fact, I'm sure, I won't ask for a show of hands, I'm sure we've all done one or more of those things at some point in our lives. It is a very common sin. Sometimes we do it without even thinking. Maybe you've had that experience before. After you have a conversation, you've just wrapped up something with someone, you realize as you're walking away, you know what I said just, that wasn't really true. I said something that was wrong. Just on the spur of the moment, because it can be a a knee-jerk reflex for us to get ourselves out of whatever situation it is. Sometimes, though, today, it's coldly calculated. This would never have been allowed in the United States or probably most of the Western world, even a generation ago, but now it's commonplace. There's a website called alibinetwork.com that will lie for you if you pay them. So you want to cheat on your spouse? They'll send you a letter with a job offer inviting you to attend career training so you can get away for a few days and it'll all look very official. Are you embarrassed about being unemployed? They will provide you with business cards, a work phone number, email address, and even a secretary who will answer the phone for you. Just had to pay. Want a free day off of work? They'll pretend to be your doctor, your dentist, your spouse, and call your boss and explain why you can't come into work that day. Very commonplace. I'm sure You might find that a little amusing, but you're not really surprised, are you? Because that's the world in which we live now. Most of the time, people who practice lying regularly are going to get caught sooner or later. And this has been observed for many, many years. Michel de Montaigne, one of my favorite French writers who lived in the middle 1500s, said, it's not without reason that people say that whoever doesn't have a very good memory should not be involved in lying. Mark Twain said it a little bit differently. He said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. What was it that I said? What was the story that I gave? You have to remember what that is. And it's very much in the news today. One of the big issues of our present age is the loss of confidence in government officials. In fact, I spoke about fear a couple of months ago, and one of the biggest, the biggest fear that people have is government officials not telling them the truth. We live with that fear all the time now because they lie. We have seen so many changing stories about COVID-19, and I'm not taking sides on that issue. That's not my point. It's not whether you should be vaccinated or not or whether you should wear a mask or not. I'm not getting involved in that at all. Just saying the stories have changed. Who do you believe? It's hard to know who to believe now. It's hard to know who to believe. We have less and less trust in people we should be able to trust because the world lies. At least since World War II, Western democracies have accepted the fact that leaders have to lie in wartime. Winston Churchill famously said, in wartime, truth is so precious that she should be always attended by a bodyguard of lies. And he lied very successfully during the war in order to win. But now we're in a different time when it's not because there's some emergency, it's just to manage your reputation. You lie, people lie. There are whistleblowers who violate security clearances in order to share some information they promised on their honor they would never share. 
but they do because there's a higher good or whatever the reason is that they have. Some good information, some bad information. Whether we think that's right or wrong or good or bad, we can all agree that there's a lack of trust. We don't trust as we used to be able to. One of the roadblocks in finding a solution to the COVID pandemic is that citizens don't believe their governments. And this is not just an American thing. It's true in Europe and talk with French people. They don't, they don't trust their government. Talk to people in Africa, they don't trust their government. Nobody trusts government officials to tell the truth anymore. You may have heard of the RAND Corporation, R-A-N-D. RAND stands for Research and Development. It was a think tank that was founded after World War II to identify threats to the United States. In 2018, the RAND Corporation published a study called, listen carefully, Truth Decay, not Tooth Decay, Truth Decay, an initial exploration of the diminishing role of facts and analysis in the American public life. In other words, we're disconnecting ourselves from reality and the truth. Let me read just a, a brief paragraph from them. Over the past two decades, national political and civil discourse in the United States has been characterized by truth decay, defined as a set of four interrelated trends, an increasing disagreement about facts and analytical interpretation of facts and data, a blurring of the line between opinion and fact, an increase in the relative volume and resulting influence of opinion and personal experience over fact, and lowered trust in formerly respected sources of factual information. And they have a whole long paper to explain that this is a threat to the United States. It's a security threat to the United States, the fact that we can't agree on what the truth is and that people disrespect the truth and that they prefer to believe something that's soothing to them rather than to face facts that are unpleasant. And I'm sure you have certain news items going through your mind right now as we discuss this. They finish, the most damaging consequences of truth decay include the erosion of civil discourse, political paralysis, alienation, and disengagement of individuals from political and civic institutions, and uncertainty over national policy. This is a threat, an existential threat to nations when people become unmoored from the truth and they do not value truth. There's another thing that appeared in, in Slate.com about a week ago. Uh, it's entitled, The Noble Lies of COVID-19. Noble lies, small untruths, yield unpredictable outcomes. Nietzsche once wrote, not that you lied to me, but that I no longer believe you has shaken me. Public health messaging is predicated on trust, which overcomes the enormous complexity of the scientific literature, creating an opportunity to communicate initiatives effectively. Still, violation of this trust renders the communication unreliable. When trust is shattered, messaging is no longer clear and straightforward, and instead results in the audience trying to reverse engineer the statement based on their view of the person's intent. <laughs> how, how many of you have done that over the past? Well, okay, now he's saying that, Dr. What's-His-Name is telling me that because he wants me to do this. And later on, that same doctor may admit, yeah, I wasn't really telling the truth, but I said that so that people would do this thing that would be good for them. And trust is eroded. And this article 
it says, finishes by saying, noble lies are a trap. We cannot predict the public's behavior and loss of trust is devastating. These aren't Christians. These are just people looking at the world and saying, you know, this is a dire threat to our civilization because we no longer value the truth. And many people, especially in our educational systems, would argue that there is no such thing as truth. You can have your truth. I can have my truth. They're just as valuable, the one as the other. But there is no one objective overarching truth about anything. It's really just a matter of opinion. That's the postmodern school of thought. And if you've been through an American university in the last 15 or 20 years, you've been steeped in that, whether you recognize it or not. Man excuses the lie and justifies that it's sometimes better to lie than to tell the truth. Our creator God, on the other hand, identifies himself with the truth. The truth. Not a truth, as if there were multiple ones. God identifies himself as the God of the truth in the absolute sense of the word. God never lies. Never. Not one. In all eternity, not one time has he ever lied. It's abhorrent to him. He would never do that. Something for which we can be very thankful. Many times in the Old Testament, he is called the God of truth. That's one of his titles. That's how he identifies himself. I am the God of truth. Psalm 31 verse 5 is one of those occasions or one of those places, but you can find others if you search for it. It's interesting, there's a slight difference in the meaning of the word usually translated truth, depending on whether you're looking at the Hebrew in the Old Testament or the Greek in the New Testament. In Hebrew, according to Harper's Bible Dictionary, there is no distinct word for truth exactly. Instead, oftentimes the word amen is used or a cognate of amen which is what we say at the end of a prayer. So when we say amen at the end, we're saying, yes, I agree, that is true. I wish this also. I acknowledge this. Truth, amen. The word means true, truly, trustworthy, certain. It is so. It's not necessarily an intellectual knowledge, like this fact is either true or false. It's more about a relationship between human beings where you can trust someone. You can count on that person to be true. What they do is going to be good and right and upstanding. There won't be any deceit or deception in it. It can be relied upon and trusted. In Greek, however, the word is more intellectual. Whether we know it or not, the truth is not really an object of trust or support. It just is or it isn't. It's not something that we're putting our confidence in. It's just an intellectual acknowledgement of it. And New Testament writers speak of truth in both those ways. They, they talk about something you can trust in a relationship form, but they also talk about the truth, an overarching, universal truth. It's interesting that in the Gospel of John, the topic of truth is really key. It's a key to the ministry, to understanding the ministry of Jesus Christ. He often spoke about the truth and how he came to speak truth to people in the middle of a world of lies. John chapter one and verse nine, let's look at a couple of those. John chapter one, verse nine. <clears throat> uh, 
This is the explanation of the preexistence of the Word, the one who became Jesus Christ, and talking about the true light, verse 9, which gives light to every man who comes into the world. The true light. That's interesting to think about. That means there can be a false light. There can be something that seems to be light but is not. But Jesus came to bring true light. If we look down a little bit farther, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was full of truth. He is full of truth. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of the fullness we have all received, grace for grace, for the law that was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth came through Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons he came to earth, was to bring truth. And it's interesting that the people who heard that truth hated him for telling the truth. They even killed him for telling the truth. That is human nature at work. John chapter three, verse 33. John 3, 33, says he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. In both senses of the term, Hebrew and Greek, we can count absolutely on him. There's no falseness in him at all. Rock solid and true. In John chapter 4, verse 23, we read about the truth again. John chapter 4, verse 23. The hour is coming and now is when their true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. There can't be any falseness in our worship. We can't do it just for appearances sake. It must be true all the way down to the core of our being. That's the only kind of worship that our Father will accept. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. A lot of references to the truth here in John 8. Jesus said, verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Truth frees us. It frees us from the slavery of sin and from the slavery of not knowing what's going on, not being able to tell what is true and what isn't true. When we have the truth, then we have a measuring stick and we know what reality is and what it is not. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus said, Whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But actually what happened is that Jesus spoke the truth and they were not freed. They knew the truth and the truth made them angry. And that is a common human reflex as well. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you mad. Because no one really likes to face up to the truth. 
That's one of the hardest things for a human being to do is to look in the mirror and say, okay, what is this person truly like? We never really liked that answer. And so we prefer not to be confronted with it. Verse 40. Now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this. You're claiming to be Abraham's children. That's not the way Abraham acted. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one God, the father. Asperging Jesus' reputation because of the virgin birth. You're an illegitimate child. Don't you lecture us. That was often their tactic also. And Jesus said to them, if, you, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth from, uh, and come from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Satan created lying. That was his creation. Up until his first lie, no lie had ever been told. Only truth had been spoken or communicated. Verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Not only did they not believe him, they hated him to the point where they arranged his murder based on, of course, lies. That is the impact that lies and truth have on human beings. Satan is the father of lies. There is no truth in him. But God is the God of truth. Jesus Christ is truth. And those who listen and follow Jesus Christ follow the truth. They obey the truth. They live truly. And that is an important goal for us. It's going to be very important to keep focused on this as time goes forward because, as I've already said, we're living in a sea of lies. We don't even notice some lies anymore because they're so common. They're happening all around us. It'll be very easy for us to be affected by the world in which we live. John chapter 18 now, if you would please. John 18, verse 37. John 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth Here's my voice. And then we have this famous statement or question from Pilate. What is truth? I, we, don't, we don't really know. We would need to hear the tone of his voice to know how he meant that question. How did he mean that question? Was it facetious? Was it scornful? Was it impatient? Was it despairing? It probably wasn't sincere because he didn't wait for an answer. 
If you read the rest of the verse, he asks what is truth and then he turns to his soldiers and he gets on with whatever else he's going to do. He doesn't wait for an answer from Jesus. He didn't really want one. So we'll not, we don't know exactly what Pilate's motivation was. It would be interesting to know. In any event, he doesn't seem to believe that he could grasp the truth or maybe that anyone could grasp the truth. Or maybe he was impatient with it because so many people had claimed to tell the truth to him in the past and he knew they were lies. Many people today have the same question. What is truth exactly? And that's why we end up with so many twisted and distorted ideas about what it is. Let me just quote a couple of things that Jesus said in John. I'll give you the references. John 16, 13. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and it guides people who submit to its influence, its leadership, into all truth. What an amazing concept to think about. That verse goes on, he'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit will lead us, if we allow it, into all truth. But there's a catch we're gonna to come to in just a moment. Hold that thought for a moment. In John 14, verse six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the way, he's the truth. He'll tell you exactly what you have to do to enter into eternal life. And his words can absolutely be trusted. John 15, verse one, Jesus said, I am the true vine. There are false vines out there that might even nourish us for a little while, but they lead to the way of death, not to eternal life. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. These are just a few examples. You can find many more in the Gospel of John. That's a really a key concept, is truth, and how Jesus was the truth, and he told the truth, and the truth would make people free if they would believe it and follow it. And also how the Pharisees and the Sadducees rejected that truth. They heard the truth and it made them angry and they killed the man who brought them the truth, the Son of God. And John never seems to have forgotten that. Understandable, that obviously was a very key concept to him. He heard Jesus speak all those words directly. And even in the 90s, so 60 years later, John was still focused on this idea of truth. Look at 1 John chapter 3, if you would. 1 John 3. Verse 18. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. My little children, John writes, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, it's not wrong. He's not saying that we shouldn't tell our mates we love them. There's not, nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a good thing to do. But our love must go beyond simply pronouncing the words. We must love in deed, in action, and in truth. It's a very important concept. And in the world to come, the world that we're going to be celebrating in a few weeks, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ on the earth, there are prophecies that underscore how important the truth will be. 
Lying will not be allowed. Let's go to Zechariah chapter eight. Zechariah eight. Verse 16. So this was an instruction that was applicable certainly during Zechariah's time. It's timeless. It is really what people should always do. But chapter eight is, a, is prophetic. When you get to the end of the chapter, you'll see he's talking about the millennium and people wanting to hear the God of Israel, tell them the truth. And in the middle of that context, we have this instruction in verse 16. These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath, a sneaky lie to get your way. For all these are things that I hate, says the Lord. No one will have to swear or promise on his honor in any court of justice that they'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We won't have to make anybody promise that. That will be the law of the land. Everyone in the millennium is going to practice that. That will be the way of life. And I won't continue on in this passage, but if you go a little bit farther in Zechariah chapter 8, you'll see it's clearly a millennial prophecy. This is the way of life that people are going to be living. The inhabitants of one city shall go and say, let us go and pray before the Lord. That's not happened yet. Still to happen. Truth, the truth in the sense of the truth of God about his way of salvation, and just truth in general, saying things that are true and honest and right. The truth is going to be a big part of why the kingdom of God will be the kingdom of God, the God of truth. And beyond the millennium, when we arrive at that period of the judgment of the great white throne, God is going to make himself known as the God of truth. And only the truthful will go forward from that time. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20, if you would please. Starting in verse seven. Revelation 20, verse seven. When the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and he'll go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. How do you deceive someone? You lie. That's how you deceive someone, you lie. Satan is going to go immediately as he's released from this prison and he's going to start lying. And he does it so well, if you can use that word, or so badly, that's probably a better way to put it. He does it so effectively. He's the father of them. He will deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose numbers are the sands of the sea. And they went up to the breadth of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil then gets put away for good. It will be one final proof that he's never going to change. He will always be the father of lies and a murderer, as long as he's free to do so. That's what he will do. On the other hand, turn back with me to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. This will be another 
reality, the eternal reality, what will last. Verse 16 of Isaiah 65, so that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hidden from my eyes. The world of lies and deception and twisted things will be a thing of the past. And for all eternity, once again, there will only be truth. That's a world that's rather hard for us to imagine today. For the rest of eternity, there will never again be a lie. Charles Lindbergh said toward the end of his life, in my youth, science was more important to me than either man or God. I worshiped science. Its advance had surpassed man's wildest dreams. It took many years for me to discover that science, with all its brilliance, lights only a middle chapter of creation. I saw the aircraft I love destroying the civilization I expected it to save. Now I understand that spiritual truth is more essential to a nation than the mortar of its city walls. For when the actions of a people are undergirded by spiritual truths, there is safety. When spiritual truths are rejected, it is only a matter of time before civilization will collapse. We must understand spiritual truths and apply them to our modern life, he said. We must draw strength from the almost forgotten qualities of simplicity, humility, contemplation, and prayer. It requires a dedication beyond science, beyond self, but the rewards are great, and it is our only hope. That is true. That is true. It is our only hope. Truth, truth, the truth of God. Today, we're witnessing the ongoing collapse of Western civilization. We just had a very shameful thing happen in Afghanistan this week. Probably turned your stomach to have to watch some of that. Unlike some civilizations in history, Western civilization, in large part because of the Bible, once respected truth, even hard truths. People were expected in court to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, or they'd go to jail. But that's going away. Little by little, truth is seeping away and falling in the street to be trampled by untruthful people. We're entering a period when there is tension between the truth and lies, and more and more people love the lies more. The lies please them. The lies make them feel good. The lies give them an advantage in society. So they love lies. They love lies. The pressure to conform to that world is growing. You've felt it already. We will feel it more as time goes on. And peer pressure is a very powerful motivation. Those of you who are a little older probably remember the ASH line study, scientific study that was done in the 1950s. It's named for Solomon Ash, who was the researcher who did this. He took 123 male college students and his subjects, and he told them that the test was simply a test of their vision. So they went through 18 different tests, and 
the test essentially was that he would give them lines, a control line, and then show them three other lines next to it, one of which was identical, obviously identical to the control line. The other one was longer and the fourth one was shorter. And he would ask them which line is that exact length, which line is the same as the control line. And when they were allowed to do this test privately, they all got the answers right. When one of them was not involved in the experiment, but the others were, I think it was groups of 18, all 17 of them would give the same wrong answer. And then the last guy who wasn't in on it, he was asked to give his response. And he'd heard all of the others give the identical wrong answer. And there was a very high percentage correlation of him deciding to give the wrong answer also. No pressure had been put on him. He wasn't told he was going to be punished. Or, it's just the desire to conform, not to stand out, not to be different. You understand what that feels like. So do I. Peer pressure. Peer pressure is very powerful. And we're going to face worse than that type of scenario because there are people actively seeking to force us to repeat their lives. There are laws that have been passed in some countries that want to require you to say things that are wrong, whether it be pronouns or something else. You're, you're required by law to say something that you know is not true to avoid hurting somebody's feelings. You're being obligated by law to lie. And there's going to be more and more of that as we go forward. There will be more and more of that because the world increasingly is going to love lies. Revelation 22, if you would please. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, the new Jerusalem. But outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and notice this last part, and whoever loves and practices a lie. That, that can be a, maybe a surprising thought. There are people who can love lies? Yes. And actually, if you think about it, you probably can think of somebody you've known in your life who you, you had the sneaking suspicion, or maybe it was stronger than that. I think he just enjoys lying. It's been said of some people, they prefer to lie even when the truth would suit them better because there's so much in the habit of doing that. I've known a couple of people like that. They lie, it's just like they live and breathe, they lie about things. Even when the truth would suit them better, they'll still lie. This is an important phrase for us to remember because we don't want to get anywhere near to being people who practice and love lies. And we're going to be surrounded increasingly by people like that. People who love and practice a lie. So it's a good question to ask ourselves. How deeply embedded in me is the love of the truth and a hatred, a repugnance toward lying? Will we tell the truth even when it costs us a benefit, even when it bothers us, even when it makes it look bad, it makes us look bad, in order to tell the truth? How much do we love the truth? The truth of God, divine truth, gospel truth, but also 
just truth in our conversations, in our lives. Do we hate lies? Or could we kind of cuddle up to a lie if it might be advantageous to us in some way? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 now, if you would. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. in the end time context of deceptions that are going to come in the future. Verse eight, then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So this is obviously an end time event. Now there've been lawless ones previously, but there's gonna be a big lawless one right at the end and he'll be destroyed by the brightness of Christ's coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the works of Satan with all power, signs and lying Wonders. What is a lying wonder? Well, it's one that's trying to deceive us, trying to make us think one thing that's not true. And Satan is a master of that. So there will be lying wonders. There'll be wonders. They'll be miraculous. They'll be unexplainable. But it will be to lead people astray. Verse 10, with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. They all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The love of the truth. How strongly, brethren, do we have the love of the truth because that love protects us from all these other things. It's because people don't have the love of the truth or they've lost it that they're taken in by these lying wonders and signs and all the sins of humanity at the end time. And God even lets them go into, it says, strong delusion so that they can believe the lie until they die. And then they can be resurrected into a world of truth later on and God's plan will continue. We must love the truth. It is a strong protection to us spiritually against all of this list of things that we see coming about in the time of the end. If we lose the love of the truth, then we're open to all of those things. And that would be a horrible fate. The love of the truth will protect us from Satan's deceptions, from falling into certain sins, from being deceived in the end time. The love of the truth is crucial to our spiritual well-being Yes, and our very survival. The natural man takes the truth lightly, sometimes doubts that the truth even exists, finds lies normal, often preferable to telling the truth. We must be children of the truth, children of the God of truth. We've been tested in this, and in the future we'll be tested again, and they're probably going to get tougher the farther along in time that we go. Before I wrap up, let me give you three concrete things that we can do to make sure we stay in the love of the truth. First of all, make sure you keep God's view of the world. Keep God's view of the world. I'm not saying that's always easy, but it must be a goal that we have. Deuteronomy 12. God told the Israelites this. He said this would be a key to them flourishing as a people is if they kept seeing the world the way God saw it. And they didn't start asking, well, how do these other people see the world? 
what does this nation do or that nation? Deuteronomy 12, verse 28. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may be well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations which you go into dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourselves that you're not ensnared to follow them after they're destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I'll do that. They said this line is the right length. I'm going to say that too. All of these nations can't be wrong. That's what Herbert Armstrong told his wife when she explained about the Sabbath. All these churches can't be wrong. Yeah, they can. <laughs> and all these nations can be wrong. Just about the whole population of the world can be wrong. And is wrong. The non-biblical, non-Christian religious holidays of the world's Christianity, for example, they're supposed to be religious and honoring God, but they're the opposite of what he tells us to do. Trendy, faddish ideas today about the way society is supposed to function, economics, even fundamental biology that we want to lie about and people want to make us lie about now. That's the way the world sees things. We need to see things the way God does and make sure we always view the world through the lens of his word. This is what's real, the God of truth. God is real, whatever anybody else may think or say. Second Timothy 4, Second Timothy 4. Second Timothy 4, starting in verse three. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, Paul tells Timothy, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They're gonna pick teachers they like because that teacher tells me what I like to hear, tells me that I'm better than other people or tells me that you know, whatever it is, something that make, puts me in a good light. I'm gonna believe him. I don't care if it's the truth or not, that makes me feel good itching ears. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. We're watching that happen 24-7 in the world today. Turn their ears away from the truth, turn to fables. Itching ears. If you have itching ears, there are lots of people out there who will volunteer to scratch them for you. On Facebook, for example. Find all kinds of people who tell you elaborate theories about this or that, and because we don't know who to trust anymore, we end up picking people who tell us things we like rather than things that may be actually true. Itching ears, being in search of some new and exciting truth. That happens in the church of God. Oh, I like this new calendar, or I think Pentecost should be this or that, or whatever. Just recently, the American Medical Association and the Society of Doctors, probably one of our most educated groups ever, People hyper-educated in science, they've reached the point where they don't want to put a, a male or female on birth certificates. Just leave it blank, because you never know how that person's going to turn out. That's a lie. <laughs> you know what gender the person is? Okay, they're inter intersex people. That's an extremely small number. And even then, the chromosomes don't lie. You can tell whether they're male or female. Everybody is. But even doctors, the American Medical Association, 
because people have itching ears. And that's a dangerous thing. So that's the first point. Make sure we always keep God's perspective on the world. He tells us what's true and what isn't true. Secondly, which goes along with that first one, we cannot allow ourselves to be wrongly influenced by other people. Even if it's all the other 17 people in the group telling us what line is the same length as the other one, that doesn't change reality. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. Verse 1. It happened in the first century. People told lies and tried to get Christians mixed up about things. Paul's trying to deal with that here in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. People were forging letters from Paul claiming that Christ had already returned. And he had to write them and say, don't believe that. Even if this letter claims to be from me, it's a lie. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God and is worshiped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself to be God, and so on. Verse 10, talking about that man. With all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish, again, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved antidote to whatever public opinion is, is the love of the truth, which does not change. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, that which is true, that which you have proved. Don't let anybody else rattle you about any of those issues. Some will try. Some are trying right now. Some are trying right now for their own purposes. And thirdly, third thing that can help us stay in the love of the truth is just to make the decision and make it into a habit to always tell the truth. Always tell the truth. Now that doesn't mean, I hasten to add, that we have to say everything we know about every subject that comes up. But what we do say has to be true. And we have examples in the Bible where God even told some of his servants, Samuel was going to go anoint David, and he said, well, Saul will kill me if I say I'm going to anoint him. And God said, tell him you're going to sacrifice. That was true. He was going to sacrifice. He didn't have to divulge everything else he was going to do. What he said was true. And so we don't have to say everything we know, but what we say must be the truth. Third John, back to the writings of John again who wrote so much about truth. Third John, verse two. Third John, verse two. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And I would submit to you, brethren, that's one of God's greatest joys as well, when he can see his children walking in truth, because then we're becoming like him. 
This present evil world was founded on a lie, by a lie, by the father of lies. In the world to come and eternity thereafter will be founded on and by the truth. And no one who loves or practices a lie will be allowed. Monday morning, we're going to start our international ministerial conference with the meetings. We'll have the dinner tomorrow night and then the conference. The theme for this year's conference is spiritual leadership in perilous times. Learning from the past, preparing for the future. And this topic seemed appropriate for this theme that we'll be thinking about now because we are learning from the past. We're learning from the lies and the destruction that that has caused. And we're learning from prophecies about the future that lying's not going to be allowed. That's going to disappear. It will be extinguished eternally. One of the future perils we can foresee and for which we need to prepare ourselves is an assault on truth, the very concept of truth. The truth of God and the truth period, the very existence of it. We're being challenged, brethren, in our love of the truth. We will be more strongly challenged on our love of the truth, the truth of God and the truth period. Will we compromise? Will we compromise with the father of lies? Could it ever be that we would love a lie? Or will we always have the love of the truth? All of us will face that choice. So let us resolve and pray for God's help to love truth, God's truth, the truth. Let us resolve to walk in truth as children of the God of truth.